The Bell Witch. What was the Bell Witch? Like most supernatural stories, certain details vary from version to version, but the prevailing account is that the Bell Witch claimed to be a spirit of Kate Batts, a mean old neighbor of John Bell, who believed she was cheated by in a land purchase. On her deathbed, she swore she would haunt John Bell and his descendants. Please join in as we dig a little deeper into the legends of the Bell Witch. From a child born into this world, we are taught what to believe. Close-minded, we become fearful to be deceived. Still, we desire to know what lies beyond that locked door. The art of the storyteller, conjuring tales of legend and lore. History hidden, lost knowledge, things forgotten, and the unknown. These are the things that direct us and will set the tone. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Nightmares on the Lost Highway. So as I uh, go to visit family in Tennessee, that's where my in-laws live, I make this trip at least once a year. I There's a sign on the road not far from the town of Adams that says Bell Witch Cave. And, you know, the next exit or however. That this it, way. It's one of those signs like you'd see for like a state park. And, and I have to be honest, I had not really heard the Bell Witch story in much detail. Again, I've seen the signs for the cave. But I think this is one that you you brought to us that you wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. And, and after sitting down and, and, and starting to look into it, there's a lot to this story. It's a, it's an old tale, too. I mean, yeah. And, and I didn't realize just how close, like, I, I talked to my wife, who's totally not on board with us going anywhere that we talk about. <laughs> and even she was like, well, maybe the next time we go, if, we, if we're there in the afternoon, you know, you could, we could stop by. And so I may actually get to go to the Bell Witch Cave cool. sometime next year. That'd be cool. <laughs> Adams, uh, Tennessee, it's kind of north of Nashville, and it's like right on the boundary of uh, Kentucky. Yeah, it's not too far after you, you well. Our trip takes us, you know, through Illinois and then a little corner of Kentucky there. And then, yeah, it's not too far, not too far after you get into the, into Tennessee. But I mean, maybe we got some listeners out there that's, that's not familiar with the Bell Witch. Uh, it's a 19th century tale, uh, took place around the Nashville, we'll say Nashville, Tennessee area. Western Robertson County. Robertson County, correct. In Tennessee. Which is now, now a town by the name of Adams. And again, the area is kind of in the extreme north central area of Tennessee bordering Kentucky. Now there's the Bell Witch. Obviously you would assume, well, it's definitely a witch, you know, by, by its name given. Which seems like sort of a misnomer when you actually read into it. Yeah, it's, it's not necessarily um, what you would think. Uh, I have actually found some possibilities and people speculating that um, the witch could actually not be a witch at all, but possibly a fallen angel. Uh, a demon, a vampire, or even a, a jinn, a genie, or maybe even a skinwalker. Well, what we know for sure is from 1817 to 1821, farmer John Bell Sr. and his family lived along the Red River area, which is near what is now Adams, Tennessee. And his family in the local area were plagued by what is termed, called a mostly invisible entity. Mostly invisible. The entity had the, uh, was able to speak could affect the physical environment and was known to shapeshift. Uh, they say it was also clairvoyant and was capable of either crossing long distances with amazing speed or to locate itself in more than one place at the same time. Um, people have also called it the Tennessee ghost or the bell ghost. 
And while not part of the original legend, that cave that I was talking about was on John Bell's property, and it would become to be involved in some later stories associated with the Bell Witch, and is now known as the Bell Witch Cave. The original stories don't have much to do with the cave, but in, in there's a little bit of prophecy in the story that comes up later. And so the cave does figure in later on, and then there's some very interesting stories coming from that cave, uh, even to this day. You know, fairly modern accounts of, of strange activity around the cave. So, now I I think this is really cool. Kudos to the state of Tennessee. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they really seem to have embraced. They it. have like totally embraced this. Uh, I mean, this legend is so solid in American folklore. The story was picked up in uh, the guidebook for Tennessee as early as 1933, possibly earlier. Uh, now, this was the Federal Government Works Project Administration uh, guidebook that they were putting together. And, I mean, they fully embraced it, and, and it's it stated, you know, visit Adams, Tennessee, where you'll see many references and signs fully embracing the legend that it was truly based on real events that took place here. I mean, it's not like, come hear the story, and, you know, it's like, yep, this stuff happened. It's part of our history. Uh, we put it in the guidebook. <laughs> it's, you know, it's official. Well, like I said, you, you pass that sign, and it's the same kind of sign they'd have for you know, a state park ring. It's not like somebody put a billboard up and yeah. MC the bell, Witch. you right. know, no, it's, it's a, you know, like a state a, park official sign. signs the, I think the original account, well, the original account is, uh, in 1894, a newspaper editor by the name of Martin V. Ingram published his authenticated history of the bell, Witch. that's the actual title. I believe, um, that was like, he got the story straight from the bell family. If yes. I remember he, he went there, interviewed him and, and put this story together. Uh, the book is widely regarded as literally the first full-length record of the legend, and definitely is the primary source for this story. You, you will you will definitely come across it if you if you want to do more research. The individuals recorded in the work were known as historical personality. In modern times, some skeptics have regarded Ingram's efforts and uh, his work as historical fiction or fraud. Other researchers consider Ingram's work a folklore study, and honestly, it's it's not really much different from many other tales in the regions all across the United States. Uh, you know, every state probably has at least one, you know, tale of this. But again, kudos to Tennessee. I mean, they've just fully embraced well, it. You know, uh, we, we just recorded The Jersey Devil, you know, and, and I think it. We, you're probably right. At some point, we could probably just go state to state, state and to pick state. out a topic. Yep. But yeah, Tennessee absolutely is invested in the Bell Witch. Now, in, in this book, Ingram published that the poltergeist's name was Kate. Old uh, Kate Bats. Old Kate Bats, uh, which was referred to as a witch in the original publication. Well, and apparently the spirit did respond favorably when addressed by that name. And that's kind of when the name Kate was, you know, associated in some of the investigations. Uh, it referred to itself, or at least accepted, that the name was uh, Kate, and it kind of stuck, and that's what it's you know used for today. It continues, I guess, to respond favorably to the name, uh, although to others it remains undecided, and it's really a mystery of is it really Kate or is it a demonic entity or, you know, as suggested, a fallen angel or who knows what. Early historical accounts, the haunting began sometime in 1817. John Bell had witnessed a, he called, an apparition of a strange creature resembling a dog. Bell fired a gun at the animal several times, but it just disappeared. And I don't mean like walked off, it like vanished, dematerialized, if you will. Uh, and, and we've talked about this in the past because, well, you know, hey, if you don't understand it, let's shoot it, <laughs> you know, because why not? This seems very American. It does. It does. Now, John's son, Drew Bell, is said to have approached an unknown bird 
perched on a fence nearby the farm. Of, of extraordinary size. Of extraordinary size that flew off. And uh, this is just kind of another example referring to the shape-shifting aspect yes. of it. The daughter, Betsy, observed a girl in a green dress swinging from a limb. I, I, I'm envisioning like a swing, tire swing, or I maybe would, a rope swing. Well, rope swing would be, be a tire swing. Uh, of an oak tree, and she mentioned seeing this ghost apparition, if you will, in a green dress several times. There was a, a, a man by the name of Dean uh, who was uh, called out as a person enslaved by the Bell family. I, I saw the wording there, and I kind of I wasn't around how to but sure how it, to address. I that. would say that the the Bells had slaves. Okay, okay, because I did hear I did find reference later on to slaves. So okay, apparently the Bells did own slaves. Okay. He reported that uh, often he was followed by a large black dog, which we've talked about, the bug sightings, yeah. on evenings that he visited his wife. Uh, activity moved to the Bell household with knocking heard along the doors and the walls. They uh, would hear gnawing sounds on their beds at night. Mm -hmm. uh, the sounds of invisible dogs fighting. And chains. Uh, chains being drug along the floor. Now, you know, I, I try to be a logical thinker with this. And I'm thinking, you know, here we have a cabin, you know, a uh, possibly a wood floor, literally, and underneath that, maybe mice infestation or rats. You know, that would explain clawing, scratching. That, that explains some of it, but chains. Some of, yeah, that's it, kind of a distinctive sound that's that, hard that's to imitate. That's dialing it up a little bit. But again, about this time frame, John Bell himself began experiencing paralysis of the mouth. Okay, I'm going to go out on a limb here. Are you familiar with the term Bell's palsy? Actually, I wasn't until you brought it up, yeah. but yes, yes, I Bell's wonder if, if somehow that's related. That's interesting. Because Bell's palsy, if you're unfamiliar, is is a paralysis of the muscles on one side. Yeah. Um, my mom experienced it. I've known I've known plenty of people. Well, I say plenty, but at least three or four other individuals that I am familiar with. So I'm wondering if, if strange coincidence. One, yeah, is, is that where the name came from, or at least partially inspired, or no? I didn't even think about it until you started reading that line. And then, uh, yeah, I'm like, yeah, no, that I wonder if that's somehow related. But anyway. But it, it could be that mentioned also possibly poisoning. That does come up later on. Maybe yeah. a curse. Yeah. You know, it, it could be. The phenomena grew in intensity as uh, like the sheets were ripped from the beds when the children were sleeping and waking them in fearful fits. You know, soon the entity kind of dialed things up and started pulling the hair and scratched the children with a particular emphasis on Betsy, uh, who seemed to be slapped and pinched and stuck with pins, it even yeah. said. Uh, now, Betsy is, again, the one that referenced seeing the girl in the green dress swinging and, and an oak tree. Yeah, the, the, the old Kate Betts there seemed to, to pay particular attention to, uh, to, to Betsy. And, uh, I mean, even later on, when she would become engaged, it seemed to yes. further incite the, the Bell Witch here. Now, the Bells, of course, you got to consider this is a very rural area. So they turned to a close family friend, a name of James Johnston for help. And literally he was their neighbor. I mean, just putting it bluntly, they, they went to him and he was the first one that they really shared some of the stories with he and his wife. And one thing led to another. And eventually they got uh, James Johnston to stay at the house to see if, you know, if you're experiencing the same things we are after he spent some time there, he was awakened during the night uh, with exactly the same phenomena that they were describing. He heard clawing and scratching and all this. In the morning, he simply told John Bell, it was a spirit just like that of the Bible. Just like in the Bible. 
Now, soon word of the haunting spread with some traveling great distances to see this witch. Well, I believe it was about this point where the the apparition began to to speak more and more often. Yes, it was almost like it was getting power. Yeah, when when asked what it wanted, it replied feebly, "I am a spirit. I was once very happy, but have been disturbed." That's kind of creepy. And uh, different reasons for being disturbed. One uh, was a Native American yeah, claims claimed that Native American burial mounds on the property had been bothered. And that was why it was disturbed. I guess at one point it sent Drew Bell and Bennett Porter on a search for buried treasure that they never found. Kind of a wild goose chase. Kind of a prankster type there. But the spirit would repeat word for word sermons. Two different sermons being delivered 13 miles apart at the same time. Yes. And apparently was well acquainted with biblical texts and enjoyed religious arguments. Now, again, I got to say, this reminds me of like a possession or demonic, I mean... You know, some people may not agree, but, you know, demons, uh, I firmly believe in. But you talk about somebody that's going to be very up to par with yeah. biblical scriptures. Yeah. Well, they, not only that, but also uh, the, the bell witch there seemed to be quite the gossip and would like to talk about the activities of other households. Oh, yes. I loved uh, the game they kind of played. It seemed like it would leave for brief periods even. Like, hey, what's going on at so-and-so's house? And it would just be quiet, and then it would come back and be like, oh, man. Now, to <laughs> me, I mean, this, this seriously sounds like at least part of the family member was embracing this. And it was like, that's why I mentioned the game it would play. I, hey, I wonder what's going on over at so-and-so's house. And the, the entity, the bell witch, whatever you want to refer to it, would like, I don't know. Hold on, you know, and it would disappear for a while, and then come back, and it would report truly what was going on, <laughs> and it could be substantiated later on that, yeah, sure enough, you know, little Bobby he fell and bruised his knee, or you know, whatever. So I, I wanted to dig a little deeper into this James Johnson. Um, I'm like, okay, obviously he's a key player here. He's the first one they shared the story. Uh, he spent the night there with his wife. Yeah, you said you had a little more about him. I, I dug a little deep on him. Uh, he lived from 1759 to 1851. And one of the things I quickly came across was uh, his name's often misspelt. In many references, you'll see Johnson when his name was truly Johnston with uh, S-T-O-N. Uh, but no person was closer, it is said, to the John Bell family and his two sons, John and Calvin. Now, James Johnson was the first person, again, outside the family that he, that John Bell shared this family secret, and the whole Kate reference uh, came into play. He and his wife were the first people outside the Bell family who actually had personal encounters with Kate. Uh, and again, it was only logical at the time. Where else are you going to go? You're living in the rural areas. You, you go to your next-door neighbors that you've relied on and, and trusted. First question that, that uh, Johnston asked the entity, in the name of the Lord, who and what are you and what do you want? And that same line of question seems to be like adopted, if you will. And like paranormal investigations, even today, if you go there, that's like, that, yeah, that's what yeah. they want to ask those same words. Well, and you use a similar phrase if you want it to leave you alone too. But again, people started traveling great distances to see how what the hoopla was about. Now, Johnson first thought the disturbances were a practical joke. He actually even kind of said the children are just doing it for attention. You know, he he was a disbeliever. Uh, However, his mind quickly changed after spending the one night at the Bell home, and he personally experienced this stuff. Now, James Johnson, he was a devout Christian. Uh, Despite his inability to read or write, many considered him an expert on Christianity and the Bible in general. Because the Bible says that both good and bad spirits exist, and that trafficking with evil supernatural is possible. Johnson often expressed his belief that the disturbances were caused by an evil spirit, a demon, just like in the Bible. His sons also shared that same belief. James and Jane, his wife, 
subscribe to the doctrine of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church, but because there was no Cumberland Presbyterian Church in the area, they had joined the Methodist Church because they felt, as part of their Christian duty, they needed to be an active member of a church in a community. James Johnson died April 1850 at the advanced age of 91 years old, and he is buried along with his two wives and many relatives in Adams, Tennessee at the cemetery. So this, again, um, he was unable to read or write, but uh, obviously a very Christian man, a very biblical man. And again, this this whole thing to me just reeks of a demonic aspect. I mean, it really it does, does seem to be that way. I know at one point his uh, son, John, asked the witch uh, a question that, that supposedly no one outside his family would know. And the question is, uh, what would his Dutch step-grandmother in North Carolina uh, yes. say to slaves if she thought they had done something wrong? To which the, to which the witch... To which the witch... Responding in his grandmother's accent, responded, "Hut tut, what has happened now?" Which I guess is exactly, exactly. what she would ask. Yeah, and that seems to be kind of common too. Like she, the the witch was able to do voices yes. to imitate people. Um, I love the Englishman story. Are you, yeah, are you going to touch on that? A traveling Englishman stopped by to investigate, and while he was there, he made a comment about his family and that, that was still overseas. Uh, at that point, the witch began to mimic his English parents and using their voices and their accents. The witch even woke him up the next day doing the same thing, which concerned him. He was very, very upset. And he was wondering if they had had heard his voice, maybe. The somehow. parents in England, yeah. And that's what the witch was saying, like, oh, we've heard your voice, blah, blah. Uh, he left the morning, uh, wrote back later to the the bells, I guess, to say that the witch had, in fact, visited his parents that's while he crazy. was there. They had heard his voice while while he was there. One of the little anecdotes I do like is a family friend, William Porter, claimed that the witch climbed in bed with him one night, and uh, he was able to seize the spirit in the ble- the bedclothes. So I, I just envisioned, and there was a little rough drawing, on, and I think it might have been in that book, where he's got this sheet you know, pulled tight with this figure in it, and uh, says in the end, the only thing that, like, the, the weight and the great smell were what prevented him from being able to deposit the witch in the fire. Wow. So he was he was determined to destroy the witch. And again, like you said, you know, the the weight, the smell, you know, imitating yeah. voices, being able to travel great distances or well, even we mentioned the game where they were playing traveling yeah. to the neighbors. My gosh, this thing went to England from America to visit the parents. Yeah, to go to harass come, the students. This parents. thing frequent flyer miles, you know. At times the spirit displayed a form of kindness. Yes, uh, especially towards Lucy, John Bell's wife, uh, who was described as being literally the most perfect woman to walk the earth. She was very well favored, you know, amongst the locals. The witch would give Lucy fresh fruit and sing hymns to her, like biblical church hymns. Oh, the witch also seemed to, to have a measure of kindness for John Bell Jr. Yes. Now, referring to John Bell Sr., uh, as old Jack, the witch claimed she intended to kill him. There was no, you know, kindness oh, yeah. here. Curses and threats, threats, and- uh, afflictions. The, the story climaxes with the patriarch of the family. He was poisoned by the witch, and afterwards, the entity interrupted the mourners by singing drinking songs. There's, there's a little more to that story. Um, uh, John Senior um, breathed his last on December twentieth, eighteen twenty. He slept, slipped into a coma, and died. Uh, immediately after his death, the family found a vial of strange black liquid in the cupboard. Now, of course, they didn't know it was there. Uh, so John Jr. decided he would conduct an experiment. Mm. And he took a couple drops and sprinkled it on the cat's tongue. <laughs> Here, kitty, kitty. Now, the cat, quote, jumped into the air, rolled over midair, and was dead by the time it hit the floor. 
Wowza. So the entity explained at that point in time, I gave old Jack a big dose of that, and that fixed him up real good. Yeah, wow. Um, So John Jr. tosses this into the fireplace where it bursts into a blue fireball and shoots up the chimney. A little present the witch left. Yeah, John Sr.'s funeral was one of the largest ever held in Robertson County, Tennessee. And as the mourners were leaving, the witch interrupts them by singing drinking songs. Let's face it, there's some audacity here. I mean, (laughs) favoring Lucy and all that. If this is a demonic entity singing her hymns and bringing her fresh fruit, and then old Jack, you know, John Bell Sr., interrupting his funeral and singing drinking songs to, to, to break it up. Well, the, the next year, Betsy, which the which we say the witch had targeted her too. Yes. Uh, she called off her engagement to one Joshua Gardner, and it's believed that that was for his safety. Like the witch had apparently made threats towards him as well. So, um, now, about that time frame, correct me if I'm wrong, the witch kind of disappears for about seven years. The entity told the family after the, the engagement was called off that it would leave them, but it would return in seven years. And she was true to her word. She returned and played Lucy and her sons, Richard and Joel, with similar activities as they had seen before. Uh, this time, they chose not to engage with the witch. And apparently, I, I, out of boredom or, or out of being ignored, I Left. mean... Maybe it didn't receive the power it wanted yeah, by being that's exactly where my mind was. Again, demonic possessions yeah. are usually uh, so, associated with, you know, you, you give it yeah. the power, you know. And uh, after after being ignored, she just chose to leave. Like, now, at this point, I don't know if you were going to touch on um, General Andrew Jackson. Go right but ahead. I do have a have this detailed account in, in the Ingram's book. Uh, during his military career, Andrew Jackson was very intrigued by the story of the Bell Witch, apparently. He arrived with a wagon load of supplies to aid the Bells, who obviously had strangers coming. And, and in those days, you know, you, you plan to take care of your family. You don't necessarily plan to take care of houseloads of visitors. Right, right. And so they, they showed up with his wagon load of supplies to help refill the Bells' depleted supplies. As they got close to the homestead, the wagon stopped. And it almost appeared as if it had just been bolted to the ground. Like, it wouldn't move. Wouldn't move at all. Uh, no amount of effort would move the wagon. And Jackson... And this will this this particular exclamation pops up often, but apparently Jackson exclaimed, "By the eternal boys, it is the witch!" <laughs> and then a voice was heard to declare, "All right, General, I'll let the wagon move on, and I'll see you again tonight." At which point the wagon Released starts him. moving again. So very interactive. Yeah. Uh, instead of camping with his men, um, Jackson went and stayed with the Bells that night with a with a couple of his closest men. Uh, among his party was what was called a witch layer. L-A-Y-E-R. Like a witch slayer? Everything said layer, and it was repeated multiple times, so huh. I don't know what that means Maybe exactly. an older term. Uh, but apparently he boasted of his supernatural exploits. He dealt with witches and ghosts and what have you before, so he was he was ready, you know, and, and he's, he, he spent the whole night talking about, like, he, I'm not afraid of the witch, you know. <laughs> and Been a, there, done that. At a certain point in time, Jackson just whispers to himself, by the eternal, I do wish this thing would come. I want to see what he would do. Uh, at which point... The witch arrived and began to taunt her, the witch layer to shoot her. Of course. Like, come on, do it, do it. So he pulls his gun. He pulls the trigger. Nothing. The gun will not fire. Uh, and then the witch is like, oh, I'll teach you a lesson. And it appeared to beat the man and then grab him by the nose and take him outdoors. Wow. Jackson then exclaims, by the eternal boys. I never saw so much fun in all my life. This beats fighting the British. <laughs> so the Jackson, uh, the, wit- the witch tells Jackson then, she's like, I will reveal another rascal to you tomorrow. At which point, in the morning, his men decide they're going to leave. They don't want to deal with this. Um, I don't know. They don't, they don't want to know who she's going to single out the next day. Now, according to 
I don't want to say, I don't want biographer is not maybe not the right term, but those people who follow Jackson in his career, they will say Andrew Jackson was not in the area at the time, but it's very heavily documented that he was in, I don't remember where they said he was. He wasn't in Tennessee. There's almost no point in time where his travels would have brought a little bit him. of a conflict to the story. Yeah. So again, you know, legends like this story is like interesting this, story records. nonetheless. Well, obviously, I mean, this is definitely was a generational family. Uh, obviously, the witch seemed to be very plagued with old Jack. I mean, she didn't have any love for him, but visiting, you know, the the wife, the daughter, Betsy well, later on. Oral tradition of the area suggests that maybe I guess John Bell had ordered a had had had, had murdered. An overseer, a slave overseer. I'd read something about that, yeah. And that uh, some folks believe that maybe this was the spirit of that person uh, back when he was in North Carolina. Well, and I, I was reading, and, and again, you start down the rabbit holes, and it, it goes in a lot of different places. But I, I also had read that maybe somebody had dabbled into the black arts to summon a, a lesser demon, if you will, to help aid them in some way. And obviously, that may not come cheap. And therefore, there's a price to pay. There's right? a price to pay. Maybe not only for you, but for you know all your generations of of the family. Essentially, a curse. You know. So that's sort of the original story of the Bell Witch, the 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 story that was recounted in Ingram's accounting. But uh, there was a prophecy reported in, in May of 1903. I believe it was reported in a local newspaper that stated the witch would return on the centennial of the Bell family arrival in Tennessee. Now, that is documented as being sometime in 1935. You're, you're talking roughly 107 years after the Bell Witch had last been seen in that area. Strange events begin to happen in 1937. Lewis Garrison, who owned the farm that included the Bell Witch Cave, began to hear unexplained noises from within the cave. So this is when the cave the starts cave to be part scene. of it. Okay. Yeah, Bell, descendants of Bell describe sounds like something rubbing up against their house which goes back to those earlier accounts of like on the bed. And in one case, there was a, like a piece of paper that flew out of a door and then re-entered through another side door. Creepy. And they would hear like piano music being played. Uh, July 29th, 1937, a group was attending a wiener roast in a quarry near the Bell Witch Cave. Uh, they were joking about the legend and carrying on about all oh, the Bell Witch Cave, blah, blah, blah. Uh, when they saw a woman sitting atop the cliff, which overlooks the cave and caused many of them to flee from the area. November 1965, there's an account of uh, an antique rocking chair. Uh, the chair was bought during an estate sale by an, an antique store. They had they decided they weren't going to sell it because it was such a nice piece. Customer sat in the chair, and after being told it was not for sale, kind of got a strange look and then turned to the owner and they said, do you believe in the supernatural? Uh, two weeks later, the, the, the daughter of the customer that had sat in the chair returns and said after her mother had visited there, she went to the Bell Cemetery where she heard a voice. That said, stand up and look around. You will find something of much value. Said she got had some car trouble on her way out of there and was walking around in the field while she was waiting for some help and found a black iron kettle turned upside down. Hmm. When she turned over the kettle, she found a pearl belt buckle underneath, estimated to be between 160 to 200 years old. Holy shnikes. That's got to have a dollar value uh, to yeah. it. Yeah. 1977. Uh, Bonnie Hainline recounted a story from 1944 when she was exploring the cave. She had uh, played hooky that day and snuck out of class. She borrowed a lantern from the, the cave owner, and inside, the lantern blew out. Just a seemingly random, which you ever spend any time in caves, you yeah, get you weird drafts and, wind and, stuff. and stuff. So she relit it, and it blew out again, instantly. So she's scared, obviously, at this point. As she starts to crawl along, the, the it says water path of the cave, so I'm assuming it's got a little stream. Yeah. 
uh, until she gets to the entrance. When she gets to the entrance, she finds an open can of pork and beans and marshmallows. So that's weird. (laughs) So later she finds out that the local law enforcement discovered two fugitives who had been on the run and were sheltering in that cave. Ah. And she credits the witch with helping her to avoid detection. Again, maybe not all bad, but... Another report from 77, five soldiers from nearby Fort Campbell go to the cave to, to see what the story's all about. And one of the soldiers sitting on the rock and he's, he's just talking, you know, and he's like, oh, this, this is hokum. This is all, you know, folk belief. This is all some, when all of a sudden he's grabbed around the chest by an invisible force. And, you were saying? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they all take off. 1986, um, two staff members get permission to stay overnight in the cave. So they go into the first room. And they're there, and, and in later, as, as the night progresses, they begin to hear a noise from deeper inside the cave. This, be, this noise becomes an unwavering groan that, that becomes repeated at greater volume, and then suddenly they begin to hear thumps, like on the cave floor, the cave wall. So when it begins happening for a third time, they run out of the cave. They're like, we're done. They kind of collect themselves, and they're like, okay, we need to go back in, right? We got permission. We're going to check it out. So they, as they're walking back towards the cave. They hear a high-pitched scream, and uh, no. They, they just nope right out of there. <laughs> They're done with that. So I guess kind of the general consensus is the witch lives in the cave. Is Apparently that the kind witch, of assume, or at least yeah, retreats there the from time to time. Now here's one, and I had to tell my wife this one when I found it because I really like this story. Because, and again, this this I haven't shared this with you yet. You'll get a kick out of this one. 1987, and H.C. Sanders reports that, that 20 years earlier, he had run out of gas uh, at night near the Red River, which is across you know, from where the Bell Witch Cave is. Uh, he gets out. What are you going to do? You know, it's, you got to go walk. You yep. walk. Yep. So he is walking towards town and a rabbit comes out of the woods. When he sees this rabbit, it's like, hey, look at each other, you know? <laughs> the great stare down. And so as he continues to walk, the rabbit maintains pace with him on the other side of the road. So he keeps watching this rabbit and, you know, he's, he walks a little faster and the rabbit speeds up a little bit, keeps pace with him. He walks a little faster and the rabbit speeds up and keeps pace with him. <laughs> so he takes off running and the rabbit runs after him, keeps right up with him. Killer rabbit. So finally he gets to where he feels like he's outpaced his rabbit. He doesn't see it anymore. He's been running. He's wore out. He sits down on a log to catch his breath, at which point the rabbit hops up on the other end of the log and looks at him and says, uh, hell of a race there we had, <laughs> wasn't it? <laughs> so I get kind of comical, maybe the shapeshiftery, you yeah. know, appearing, you know, um, but even to this day, you know, the side of the Bell House and then the uh, Bell Witch Cave are supposedly hotbeds of activity with uh, sounds and, and lights and people photograph orbs and apparitions. So you put whatever faith you want to in, in those pictures. But apparently that is a legend that is still active. Very to alive day. today. And and again, I mean, is it really something you want to mess with? It does. Some again, of that's a little iffy. It's, it seems demonic to me. I mean, that's just my 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 vote as I toss my hat. into the, But uh Closing words, if you will. I thought it would be very fitting to actually borrow words directly from the son of John Bell. And this was in the manuscript. And he says, and again, follow me, the wording is, of course, based on the time frame. Yeah. Whether some witchery, such as afflicted people in past centuries and the dark ages, whether some gifted fiend of hellish nature practicing sorcery for selfish enjoyment or some more modern science akin to that nature, perhaps a hobgoblin native to the woods of the country, or even a disembodied soul shut out from heaven, perhaps an evil spirit like those Paul drove out of a man and into the swine, or a demon let loose from hell. I am unable to decide. 
nor has anyone yet. Richard Williams Bell. So there you have it. The family, obviously, didn't understand what was going on. Not real sure anybody truly understands. It's, I mean, they, they didn't know, but it, it happened but as far as they're concerned. There's definitely some stuff going on there. And the state of Tennessee has uh, <laughs> definitely said it's based on true accounts. You be the judge. This is yet just another example of what you'll find on Nightmares on the Lost Highway. Thanks so much for listening.
We'd like to give a shout out to our first uh, paying sponsor, Raven's Loft. That's our family shop here located in uh, Lebanon, Missouri. It's your one-stop gaming, vintage toy, and collectible shop where you can find Star Wars, Transformers, G.I. Joe, comics, vinyl records, role-play gaming, Magic the Gathering, and so much more. We're located here at 223 West Commercial, downtown Lebanon, and also in our second location, uh, also here in Lebanon, at the Heartland Antique Mall. We'd like to thank Ravensloft for, again, supporting Nightmares on the Lost Highway. I want to take a time to thank the people that helped bring this all together. Uh, Alex Tudor, you can almost call him our producer at this point. Sarah Tudor, who also helps with some of the technical stuff. I want to take a moment to extend thanks to Eric for letting us use his space to record in kind of our makeshift studio. I, in turn, would like to thank Bill for, one, putting up with me and uh, (laughs) using this camaraderie to do something we both very much love and enjoy doing. And thank Bill's family for allowing him to spend all the time to work and clean up our recordings and present them in what uh, you hear in the final uh, terms, uh, the final edition, if you will. Um, and I'd like to thank all of you for continuing to, to listen. I know we've got some loyal followers out there. We do this as a labor of love, but we're, we're happy that there are people that enjoy it as, hopefully as much as we do. Thank you very much.